Hi, Stably. Hello, Jerry. How you doing? Full of self-contempt. Yeah? <laughs> That's usual, though. Uh, How about you? Uh, namaste. <laughs> okay. You sicken me. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So today we are going to be discussing Western self-contempt, oikophobia in the decline of civilizations by Benedict Beckold, uh, which was your pick. And I have to say, I thoroughly enjoyed this book. I knew, uh, I knew you would. Well, you didn't know what this book was when you. No, it. I didn't. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> yeah, but it's it's great, and I am looking forward to seeing how we're going to discuss it because this book is dense. <laughs> uh, it was, and I, and I and I say that you know usually I, I always have that caveat where I say it's dense, but it's dense in a good way. This book is both dense in a good way and dense, uh, but mostly in a good way. Okay, and it's just it's like a it's like a diamond right like it's got a lot of facets so uh there's a lot that we could discuss um but anyhow what did, what did you think it's like a dense juicy diamond yeah, yeah that's right yeah yeah like a, like a delightful christmas uh fruitcake <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, what was your question sir uh what no, did, no, what did, I, i'm kidding yeah. what, what did i think uh yeah i agree with you I, I enjoyed it i think it was a little too dense for moi um in a good way like there's yeah. um it, it bears rereading. Yeah, it bears rereading. Um especially like the last two chapters. Yeah. That which you read last night. Yeah. Which I read last night. Yes. <laughs> no, no. It's uh it's uh like uh, he uh he flipped it. Usually the last two chapters are like the shortest of any book. Right. <laughs> because that's when people have run out of gas and are like, what do I say? How do I wrap it all up? <clears throat> but I think uh, they were my, uh, uh, um, Jerry Ellig, uh, who I think you knew, uh, and I co-authored a paper once, and we just we had run out of gas, and so the conclusion we said, the conclusion concludes. <laughs> <laughs> In conclusion, yeah. In conclusion. Anyhow, go go. Le fin. yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I agree with you. It is definitely dense, uh, in bad ways and good ways, uh, but mostly in good. Uh, Let's see. I mean, he is a very so. I think he's. I, I looked him up online. He's oh yeah, Swedish. He's not German. I think he's Swedish. He's American, uh, Stanley. He's Thank American. Very much. God, God damn it. Yes, he is American. Swedo American. Mm -hmm. um, and he looks fairly young. Mm -hmm. um, but he is so crabby. <laughs> it's great. Um, so he's a young, crabby uh, European man who's come to America and written a, a very entertaining book. Yeah, and um, like like a suitable heir for Roger Scruton, perhaps. Sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, who coined the term oikophobia? I yep. guess, right? Yep. yep. So I mean, according to the book, although I'm he, sure maybe other people. Have. He coined this particular use of that word, right? The mm -hmm. word existed, but yeah. Yeah. So. Um, you know the book. You know, it's not. It's not even that long. But yeah. Anyway, uh, <laughs> super dense. Um, it's kind of organized in a very interesting way. It's every mm -hmm. other chapter is either about a specific historical case of oikophobia, mm -hmm. or um, like the philosophical background or uh, penumbra around oikophobia. 
So it kind of like bounces around back and forth. Like it starts with Greece and Rome and like France and Britain, but then interspersed are like relativism, religion, uh, positivism as how and how they relate to oikophobia. And I guess that is actually in the uh, what's the subtitle? Those are very important now. It's um, the yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. So it's it's in the it's oikophobia in the decline of civilizations. Right. Yeah. But. Um, you know, when you do that, you uh, so I, I watched a, a YouTube video of his, uh, and he made pains to say, like, this is not a book of history. It's a book no. of philosophy. Yes. Right. So, um, you know, there's a lot of philosophy in there, and it's largely, even in the, the historical chapters, there's a lot of philosophy in there. Yeah, it's kind of like he presents a chapter of philosophy followed by uh, a chapter that basically applies or that highlights that philosophy in the historical context and then rinse and repeat but of course uh, it and it kind of goes in order as you say greece rome france britain us um but they sort of uh, uh buttress each other right like you, you can see all these things in each of the cases right yeah um yeah, no, I think it, I think it was uh, very well done. Um, so shall we? Maybe, shall we? Should begin at the beginning. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, so I think that first, you know, kind of define oikophobia, uh, and I mean, oikophobia is. Oh, what one thing I was going to say is that yeah, is it implicit in the title, which. I didn't expect until I got into the book is um, a big part of his thesis is the cyclicality of history. Mm -hmm. And it's implicit in the title because, you know, oikophobia in the decline of civilizations, which means civilizations decline over and over. This happens. So there's a cyclicality implied in there. Um, so this book is uh, kind of like as much about that in a way as it is about the oikophobia uh but anyhow um yeah so oikophobia is he says, <laughs> we're gonna, we're gonna yeah. i'm gonna it's, it's gonna be one of those words that um by the end we're gonna be unable to pronounce it yeah <laughs> i forget what it means yeah uh, um so he says you can think about it uh in contrast to its opposite which is xenophobia um and like xenophobia means the fear or hatred of strangers or foreigners. Uh, so okophobia means the fear or hatred of uh, home or uh, one's own society, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so that's like literally what it means. But in particular, you know, the 1619 Project, I think is a good stand-in just to put it in oh, right, of, yeah. of, of what he, you know, what Scruton kind of means by okophobia, right? Like that, that, um uh kind of disposition uh and, and i think he mentions this towards the beginning it's less uh like phobia means fear right right um doesn't necessarily mean hatred um whereas like xenophobia usually means fear and hatred mm -hmm. like it's just stranger danger right mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um oikophobia seems to largely consist of hatred like people are not necessarily afraid of their own civilization they just kind of despise it contempt um, yeah yeah it's more like a, a contemptuous uh almost as if it's in the title 
<laughs> well, yes. <laughs> but anyway, you know, uh, so it's it's less fear and more hate. Uh, at least, and that's definitely the impression you get as you kind of read, uh, you, you know, read the book. It's definitely, a, there's not a lot of fearing going on, uh, which is kind of one of his main points of like how oikophobia develops. Right. All right. So do you want to talk about <clears throat> how it develops? Yeah. What is so it's thesis. Yeah. So broadly, and this is mentioned in almost every chapter. So I think yeah. I got it. <laughs> is um, you know civilizations, uh, and again, so he is very, very happy and very into using like big words and big concepts that are incredibly like out of fashion now. Mm-hmm. Um, unless you're someone like Steven Pinker, who he kind of addresses destroys this math logic. Okay. 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 Yeah. Um, so he's he's kind of old timey in this way. Um, I think self-consciously so. So he's talking about civilizations like the Greeks. Um, in the beginning, <laughs> as these civilizations are developing, um, they're often very like naive um, and unknowing. They don't know what's out there. The, the rest of the world is uh, closed off to them. They are small, uh, but they have uh, Elan, right? They have a fighting spirit um, kind of driven by their naivete and like an inner strength and just uh, a desire to like get shit done basically so there's not a lot of xenophobia or oikophobia going on because they just don't even know what's happening outside of their borders um and they grow stronger they they beat but, up. Oh, go ahead. but there is a tribal instinct there yes there is a concept of us that is especially um uh you know sort of reified once they make contact with the other right right yes exactly so you know these are tribal societies in, in a lot of ways um maybe excluding the united states that's kind of a special case but the the rest of the, the case studies he has right they start off small tribal both big t and little t <laughs> right right um and as they grow stronger uh they make contact with the outside world um they defeat their enemies um you know they fight off he uses like Greece and Rome specifically. Like they they have they have to fight off uh, like extinction extinction and and annihilation. Uh, they win these uh, you know battles against the odds, and they develop like a, a very healthy self regard <laughs> that might even verge into xenophobia because they've beaten everyone around them basically. So right. they consider themselves better. Um, and he would say that in many ways it's true. Or they right. are better, but like like self-evidently, they are better. They have had success. They are now, they've conquered. They now maybe occupy. They, um, uh, 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 you know, are perhaps wealthier. Yeah, yeah. So in some metric or other, whether it's like wealth or cultural achievement or like usually yeah. militarily, uh, militarily. Yeah, at yeah, first it's militarily for sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so that's where that's where like xenophobia can enter the equation where. Yeah. You just, um, again, it's not necessarily fear of the other, although there's definitely that because you've just spent like maybe decades or hundreds of years at war killing each other Mm -hmm. um, and hatred of the other. Um, But slowly or not so slowly, like eventually um, as the civilization grows stronger, more sure of itself, it starts to, uh, you know, what would I say, allow itself some uh, reflection, Mm self-reflection. And this is the... The slippery slope, <laughs> as he identifies it, basically, um, towards uh, oikophobia, because um, as you expand, as you grow, as you conquer, you, you inevitably open yourself up to influence from the outside world, even if you are just conquering people. 
um, I guess you could kill everyone, but you're probably allowing people that you've conquered uh, or had battles with to settle within your society, to trade with you, to talk with you, to exchange ideas, art, literature, etc. And that slowly begins to change you. And often it's for the better. You know, you kind of grow less conservative, less parochial. Uh, the food gets better, you know, the usual crap. Uh, right. um, and this is something that, you know, he celebrates as a good thing. But he also points out that, you know, there's like a germ of destruction because eventually, if you reach this point, um, you know, not all civilizations probably do, but if you do reach a point where people are very well off, they're happy, they're fat, and they've forgotten all the war and trials and tribulations that you had to go through to get to this point, um, you no longer have the capital o other at all to to fight against. You're not even scared or you, you don't even hate these people anymore. Um, but because, worse than that, right? So, yeah. so I think, so I think important is he brings this up many times is as you, as civilization gets wealthier, at some point you get wealthy enough to have a permanent leisure class. Yes. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And that leads to cultural and scientific achievements, right. That make your, uh, self-regard even greater. Right. So, and that, that's kind of like the pinnacle. Um, but when you have that, permanent leisure class, eventually you get to afford um, what Andrew Potter calls uh, luxury beliefs, right? Yeah, right. Um, so, you know, yeah, at that point you, you start to think, as you say, you um, forget the trials and tribulations. Um, they, they're kind of distant and you actually start to realize, oh my God, what have we done, right? We, we were kind of mean to those people. Yes, are we the baddies? Are we the baddies? Exactly. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. So, and, you know, I think what he would say is because of, you know, human psychology, um, you're never psychologically able to get rid of capital O other, right, in, in your own mind or in the civilizations. You know, these are kind of big terms, right? The civilization can't get rid of the other, um, at least the, uh, the leisure class, the people that think and write. So they stop looking outside for the other, for the enemy to hate and fear, and they turn inside. So they create internal enemies. And as you said, a big thing that he likes to point out is like the wealth of a civilization um, enables it to have like, you know, uh, what's the word? Yeah, I mean, you know, philosophers and, and thinkers and, and those kinds of people, the clarity, right? right? right, you're, you're, right. A, you're able to afford people who just kind of sit around uh, and don't P PMCs as it were. Yes, PMCs, not not the not the hardy farmer man, but um, some yeah. sort of you know like uh, scribe in not, imperial Rome who just not Cato the Elder. Exactly right. So um, all of these forces basically like success breeds its own failure. Um, yeah, and, and it, it can I just say it's I think because you have this permanent leisure class that's doing all those things you say, but part of what um, I think motivates them. And again, you know, it's interesting the the emphases that each of us is, I think, taking from the thesis. Uh, but one of the things that motivates them is achieving higher states of wealth and prestige, right? Mm -hmm. And it stops being where. So it's, it's ultimately a status game. Um, it's <laughs> non. It's non zero. I knew, I knew this is where this is going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah. It, you know, it stops being where the status game happens you know, by focusing on the other because you've conquered the other. And so now you're having status games within your own um, tribe. And because your tribe now 
or your civilization now is very multicultural because you've conquered all these people, you've allowed these people in. Um, uh, it, it's it's more fragmented, um, and so there's now competition among the different groups in the civilization, and because you're going through this, uh, because you're wealthy enough to start thinking about, are we the baddies? And you start making compromises, um, uh, or, I mean, just you know, just or unjust <laughs> um, uh-huh. uh, compromises with uh, perceived victims. Um, you know, you you start to um, uh, uh, have basically uh, identity politics emerge. <laughs> right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So he he has like a. They're multimodal. Can I use that fancy word? He has various explanations of how yes. ochophobia develops. It's not purely philosophical. It's not purely psychological, although that plays a huge part. It's also like political and yeah, and and social and economic. And what you mentioned there, like, is, is especially I think pertinent in like the Roman Empire example, where you, you know they're basically like crazy warriors in the beginning, right? They just mm-hmm. won't stop, uh, <laughs> despite. Um, losing a lot of battles and a lot of men they they just keep coming and coming and they you know conquer the entire mediterranean world basically but as part of that yeah you know you've got all of these new peoples um and in order to continue having your delightful little wars all over the place you need men yeah how do you get men i guess you could come in and just tell them like you're you're gonna fight for us no matter what that causes crazy rebellions it's kind of counterproductive so you start to offer rights and privileges to more and more people and it's not necessarily a bad idea. And in fact, it allows you to keep winning wars and growing bigger and stronger. But <clears throat> on the other side of the coin, you're, in, you're introducing more and more people into this kind of political competition for resources, for status, for power, basically. Um, and that's, you know, that's an example of the Romans. You know, he would say that- oh, Well, and eventually you get to the point where the legions are, uh, uh, basically loyal only to their commanders, <laughs> right? Not to yes. the Senate. Exactly. Right? Yes. Yeah. So, you know, the, the only way to rule an empire that large, right? This right. is kind of where it goes is, you know, through patronage. Uh, you just can't depend on loyalty anymore right. uh, to the state, to the Senate, to whatever, like as an emperor, as a as a general it's, or something. You're, you're probably It's not going to be patriotism, right? Yes, exactly. Um, so this is kind of, Repeat it over and over. Yeah. So one of the issues I had is, I guess it is in the the title of the book is like, it's in the decline of civilization. So, and he makes pains to to bring this up towards the end. It's like oikophobia is not the only reason why civilizations fall. Mm -hmm. Uh, It is a reason and it it plays a big role and it needs to be investigated, but it's not the only reason. But I wish there had been a little bit more. Maybe I wasn't careful enough reader, uh, more like if it had been threaded through a little bit tighter, in the in those chapters themselves like what does giving the plebs a consulship have to necessarily have to do with oikophobia later i guess like it's all part of this general trend yeah uh, which is fine as it goes but uh some of the things like i I don't know maybe i just didn't i'm not smart enough to figure out like how how does this how does this feed into your thesis so anyway yeah yeah can i say so um in my little observations i noted down to bring up one of them is that basically i I wrote does decadence merely follow diversification and growth of the state or is it caused by it 
right? Does does the author prove causation? Yeah, right. Yeah. And and there is, and he, you know, I, I wrote down a sentence that kind of addresses that that he wrote that says he heightened obsession with victimhood and a traditionally marginalizes indicative of declining civilizations. And I'm like, yeah, but why? Right. <laughs> yeah. And it might just be just because, right. It's it, right. I think part of the answer because is we're wealthy enough, right. It's, people are wealthy enough and it's just too big. There's just too many people and it's just hard to keep everyone uh, basically on the same page. Um, uh, when he, they're just, yeah. Yeah. He also says with a store of unused power after elimination of enemies, human nature must spend that power somewhere and somehow. And fighting for the downtrodden at home is the easiest and closest outlet. And that seems to me to be too pat. Yeah. Uh, because yeah, I guess that's the easiest. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, uh, I don't know. You could go to Mars. That's something else you could do. <laughs> right. Well, but that's harder. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but you see my point. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess that would be his, his retort is like, well, that's actually really hard. Uh, I guess you're right. And, um, you know, you need a civilization that's willing to like still conquer things and not that's not like fat and decadent to do that because right. it's, it's, the other thing is like it's not just easy uh people can become cowards yes so going to mars is dangerous whereas yeah. like i don't know putting on a hat and marching around uh it's probably not so dangerous what kind of hat? well it's all sorts of hats okay just yeah just okay this is, this is a family podcast okay uh yeah so Anyway, so that's that's the uh, the, the general trend for for oikophobia developing uh, in societies, um, and yeah, I mean, eventually it gets to the point where, I mean, I guess he would say that most of this civilization's culture is oikophobic in nature. That um, you know, you have these fancy city dwellers basically <laughs> all in competition to be who can who's the most oikophobic um and their civilization is basically rotting around them because they're all at, hanging out with baths with their catamites while the barbarians <laughs> are bearing down um and the good farmer just doesn't even pay attention to them doesn't really care and uh when rome is burned it doesn't really affect him too much although i'm not quite sure that it was that easy but anyway that's that's kind of his take that um basically fancy city folk get up to these games and help the civilization collapse they don't necessarily cause it but they're not there to have, like help save it right rinse and repeat <laughs> <laughs> um all right so where do you want to take it from here i don't know do you want to go uh, i mean again i'm right, not we, also we not a story. <laughs> what's that excuse me um Jared, do you have COVID? Oh boy. Um, no, I have uh what is it? SRV? What do they call it? VSR? VSR? I don't know. Is that something? something? I've got something. Yeah. Uh yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't want to recount. I don't want to like No, we don't need to go example by example. Ex yeah, 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 yeah. So something else for for our dear listeners. Like we yeah. said that the chapters are split kind of like here, here's a historical example, here's some some philosophy um right. the historical examples are largely full of philosophers right. uh, i'm kidding but there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of philosophy in there too uh, a lot of philosophers um, kind of maybe more specific to that culture or that civilization so like our, our good friend jean-jacques rousseau like he's in the france chapter yeah um but you know he's kind of sprinkled throughout so that's something else to keep in mind um 
I mean, yeah, what do you want to, I'm okay kind of skipping the specific country chapters, uh, unless we want to dip into those for examples. No, I mean, we can, we can, yeah, go ahead. They're all good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, uh, a lot of these things are very, so this is a very timely book, right? Yeah. Uh, and this guy is, <laughs> writes for various like center rights publications. Although again, he's very, very crabby. And I'm sure you, I think you've highlighted the chapter where he says something about the Federalist. <laughs> the Federalist? Oh, there's a, there's a section where he, he, I'll find it. I also have it highlighted. Uh, the website, The Federalist. Oh, oh yes, yes. He, <laughs> I think it was in a footnote maybe. No, maybe yeah, it was in right. a text. I think it was in a footnote where he, he basically, um, you know, he includes some point that he makes, and he has a footnote in the footnote that says, uh, "I made this point first in an article for the Federalist, but um, due to their incompetent editing, uh, it uh, totally misrepresented what I meant to say." Or something. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. here it is: the Federalist editors, without my permission, rewrote and thereby worsened my prose. But the basic ideas are mine. So <laughs> that's great. So, uh, <laughs> so the non-country-specific chapters, um, there's like. O oikophobia and relativism in religion. There's one on positivism, yeah. on cyclical and progressive theory. Uh, he definitely comes down on the cyclical side of things. Yeah. Um, and then uh, like an epilogue and, and there's like something about an, an epilogue, which is mostly about free will. Yes, which was interesting. Basically addressing the you know the question that well, if things are cyclical this way and we are doomed to decline in oikophobia, is there any sense in trying and uh, addressing basically that's that's kind of what that epilogue I was just interesting that that was what the epilogue was about right um, yeah. which I found very very good um, yeah and I'd like, I know. would like to like maybe not now but get back to that no but let's do it now like I, I don't think okay sure to like I, so I guess one question I, I have for you um, is he's at pains not at pains but he, he's clear that um, he this is not a book against oikophobia or for oikophobia for necessarily right it's just it's kind of like a treatment of it like hey here's this thing here's what it is and um here's why it happens and here's how it's happened over and over and over again right right yeah now it seeps through that he's not super happy with it right um, right right because I, I you know i so um i i guess I guess I don't know what my question is, but but it's like my, my question is kind of like um, so what is he? Is he a uh, a jinguist of some kind? Like does he? He's also at pains throughout the book to kind of say um, everything has a good side and a bad side. Things have you know their good aspects and their bad aspects, right? Christianity. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, nationalism, whatever, right? Things, there's some good aspects of it, some bad aspects. And uh, it's like, um, there's some good aspects to um, whatever the opposite of, you know, there's some good aspects to the tribalism and chauvinism of an ascendant um, civilization that culminates in great achievements for humanity, right? Uh -huh. um, and he is a classicist, uh, uh, and you know, and he seems to really appreciate those achievements. Uh, at the same time, uh, the decline is uh, uh, 
kind of um, marked by its progressivism, right? So mm -hmm. people get richer, um, uh, you have a permanent leisure class that becomes more self-aware and self-aware about you know, uh, uh, perceived injustices. So they realize, oh my God, you know, we've had women in chains all this time. So they become, he always says, one thing he says, and I'll see if I can find the quote, but he says it several times that civilizations are um, less feminist at the beginning and more feminist at the end. Oh yeah, yes. This is like very, very this is another major, I wouldn't even call it a thread. This is like a, yeah. a big old yarn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He yeah. also he also points out, like he, he's really up in arms about vegetarianism, right? Vegetarianism oh, yeah. becomes <laughs> super prominent um, at the end of civilizations, right? And one way to look at it is that, yeah, because there is moral progress in these declining periods. So I can't figure out what he wants i think i think he, you know as i hear myself say that i think i know what it is because he says that there is a goldilocks point and i think he's he's not dumb he's clearly not dumb he understands that there's no point in in pining for this you're not going to get it but he's like at one point he says um it'd be great if um if societies were uh progressive at their beginnings and conservative towards you know the later phases right yeah but of course it's not what happens as it turns out conservative uh, civilizations societies are very conservative at the beginning and very progressive at the end right mm -hmm. um yeah. and he would like kind of the reverse and to reach this like goldilocks point and like keep the uh equipose but so anyhow so the point being he he's clearly a liberal um for the for them you know in, in, for the, in general so like he can't be against a lot of um the moral progress that we've seen lately but at the same time he thinks we're going too far so i don't know i mean i guess i don't know what my question is i guess he's kind of in the same boat that the rest of us uh are in yeah it's like a very uh it's like a very tragic book yes thank so, you very tragic um, you know like the book begins with like a little i guess it's an acknowledgement is that what it's called it's a scroll or a, uh, I'm not a literate person, what are these things called? Yeah, an acknowledgement, an introduction, right? And like, he basically like thanks his brother, who was like this incredibly important person in his life and his hero who just like one day just had cancer okay. and died shortly thereafter. So like the whole book is kind of infused with uh, like a tragic sense. Mm -hmm. um, like cyclical theories of history are not particularly happy usually because <laughs> right. it's all gonna end in like fire and brimstone. Um, and I, I also thought he was German throughout the whole thing. So of course, <laughs> whenever, whenever someone is German, I hear, uh, Werner Herzog <laughs> as I'm reading it. So that didn't help things, but, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it is definitely a, a downer as you read, except until the very end. And, and, you know, he just, um, I'm not gonna say he's a downer. He's, he just tries to be very realistic. Um, yeah. And he's not only is he very realistic, but to kind of go to your question of like, what is he? He doesn't do a lot of throw clearing, almost none at all. Yep. He, he does the throw clearing at the end, yes. where he just like lays things out and says like, well, just just as a reminder, I don't think slavery was like a great idea, and that <laughs> that emancipation was bad. But you know, when you bring more people into a society and a polity, you're just going to create more factionalism. So right. this is the flip side of the coin. Um, so anyway, as you get towards the end, like the very end, right? The last few chapters or the epilogue, um, you know, he basically says we have to try to like, there is almost no escape. Like it's almost inevitable. I mean, it's cyclical, right? Um, but 
you know, you can still try to live a good life and a, a meaningful life in the midst of oikophobia and kind of societal decay or decadence or collapse. As he points out, like, except for like the Greeks who were conquered by the Romans and the Romans who were conquered by barbarians and whatnot, a lot of these other societies can base can more or less decay and fall apart as like a vibrant civilization without being wiped off the map. Like France, right? right. France, Britain, uh, you know, obviously they're being protected by the United States. So we are not afforded that same luxury once we, uh, once we take the Zahan option mm-hmm. <laughs> and go home. But um, it's not necessarily like the end of the literal end of the world, like it would be for like a Roman uh, where your city gets burnt down. Um, so there is possibly like life after like the decay. Um, it's just that you're no longer going to be living in a vibrant civilization that you should be proud of. Um, but you're probably not proud of it anyway, because everyone is decadent and oikophobic. So, you know, he's, basically says like you should be more like the Greeks, right? Right. Uh, you should like have the the same view of life as the pre-Platonic. He, he does not like Plato very much either. <laughs> you like really, really like go back uh, to like Socrates um, and, and the people back then who, like you said, like they had that equal pose of like we are not like complete and total like xenophobic barbarians, right? We don't think we're the best at everything. We're willing to question things about our society or civilization we you know we take the best what was the saying and leave the rest whatever it is right um but we're not going to like become unpatriotic uh like fatso's just like we're not going to become uh who's the cynic that like lived in a barrel and would masturbate in public? diogenes <laughs> yeah yeah don't you're not going to become you're not we're not doing that um <laughs> i have things to say about that but go yeah, on okay <laughs> so you know he doesn't really have a solution to like societal disillusion and collapse um and i think it would be particularly dangerous for like america america to go through it because there's really no one else to uphold right like the Amer- obviously the american world order uh it would be other people um in charge of things so you know that's an issue but again i don't see any like particularly uh like you know strong statesman on the horizon personally mm-hmm. but you know anything is possible um but yeah i mean i think he just basically he says that it is still possible for you as an individual and he's an atheist as well by the way right so mm-hmm. he's definitely not coming at it from a christian perspective uh he doesn't he doesn't really hate christianity but he's got no he's got a lot of problems with it <laughs> he's got a lot of problems with christianity yeah. but he also reckon he, he's very condescending um towards christians and jews uh and just religious people in general um but in a way that he'd be like yeah so what you know um he thinks that um the only you know like the cornerstone of a civilization is religion yes even though he knows it is complete hogwash he is very warm towards religious people i think it's just great that we you know he, he you know he wishes a society would retain its religiosity as much and uh, as long as possible. Right, exactly. But anyway, yeah, I mean, the, the very end is basically like, be like the Greeks, uh, like the good Greeks. <laughs> and uh, find, like, basically like find beauty in nature. And uh, even though it's completely like amoral and uh, doesn't yeah. care about you, <laughs> um, you know, still you have to do that. Which, you know, I don't know if that, I guess that's just a good choice you can make. So it's um, interesting because, so this is something else. And 
so yeah, so one thing this guy does is he really takes exception to all of my darlings, right? So he shits all over, uh, certainly Diogenes, uh, um, yes. uh, but Seneca uh, and and the Stoics yeah. to some re re regard, uh, but also Thoreau and uh, Bo Buddhism, and especially Buddhism as it, you know, uh, Eastern influences on modern bourgeois, <laughs> you know, culture. Uh -huh. um, I can't think of anyone who would fit that. Yeah. Uh -huh. But what's so funny is that at the end, you read his prescriptions um, for sanity, and they are essentially Buddhist or Stoic in nature. Right. Like 100%. And he <laughs> cites um, Hume and Heraclitus, um for these ideas but these ideas um predate <laughs> these guys right in buddhist texts and yeah. uh, you know and so that's that's kind of xenophobic on his part i would say a little bit um <laughs> well he does point out that while he actually addresses like stoicism and buddhism do have a lot of role like there is some overlap there and there there are things to learn from both can i say I, I i hate it when he does that when he okay basically does the thing where it's um, everything has a good side and a bad side. Yes, yeah, sure. So these people fucking piss me off, but they have a point. <laughs> <laughs> well, but but he also says, but if you must choose one for, mm -hmm. you know, civilizational uh, purity's sake, let's just go with the Greeks. But why? Keep, keep the effeminate. You got to keep the effeminate Orientals out of it. I guess that's it. Yeah. They'll, they'll, they'll corrupt the mind of the women. That's That's what I mean. <laughs> that's what I mean when I ask, what is he, right? Yeah. Because I don't know if he is a jingoist or not, right? He he has all the to be sures mm -hmm. to suggest that he's not, but then he is, right? Like, why does he like this Greek stuff? It's because he's Western and he's dedicated his life to the Greek stuff, right? Is if it was just about the ideas, he just he wouldn't. Anyhow, and ultimately, none of this matters because this is a book about ideas, and it doesn't matter what he. The presentation is kind of just fun. Mm -hmm. um, but anyhow, that was just something that just, just stuck with me. Yeah. Um, he yes, he like he he's you know, he thinks that basically philosophy peaked <laughs> in in like classical Greece. Um, but you know, he has a lot of very positive things to say about like, the Anglo Saxon political tradition, right? For example, like he's yeah, I think he is he would probably consider himself to be a liberal. Yeah. Uh, like a classical liberal, but uh, more of like you know, on the conservative side, he's not a libertine or anything like that. No. Um, so, but yeah, I agree. There's there's tension there. And I mean, uh, listen to this. Um, this is him like giving dispensing advice, I guess. Uh, and so the self, or the quote essence end quote of a person, is an illusion, a piece of quasi-religious mysticism. I mean, then he says this was seen clearly by David Hume. But has a precursor already in the pre-Platonic and divine Heraclitus, who saw the various aspects and how they interact with the world, succeed one another in perpetual flux, and never quite the same from one moment to the next. Uh, that is to say, our identity, insofar as we have one, is simply the sum total of our perceptions. I mean, this is like you could be reading Bob Wright explaining Buddhism. Very civilizational hygiene. <laughs> okay. All right. Next thing you know, you got spandex everywhere. The men can't focus on their job, <laughs> and the Ruskies are in Times Square. Okay, that's right. 
Okay, so that's what I had to say about that. Okay, sure. No, I um, so I I listened to a YouTube of him. Yeah, uh, it was like addressing my critics, uh, <laughs> and basically what he said is, "You people need to read my book better and yeah. be smarter." So maybe you just need to <laughs> I... be smarter. <laughs> no, no, I, I, so he, he, just says what he thinks. Or yeah. he, says what he, he writes what he what he what he wants to write exactly what he wants to write, and he doesn't seemingly try to do any like weird Straussian nonsense or yeah there, yeah, yeah. there aren't all these caveats. So I do wonder if like I dare I say you maybe we've missed something like no no I don't think we have okay and, and here's the thing no because I don't think I'm I don't think I'm missing anything in pointing this out right I, and I think if you pointed out to him he would say yeah so what. Right, sure. like, yeah. right, like, I think that actually is a very uh, devastating um, uh, uh, sort of tool that he has in his um, logic. Where, like, for example, when he's critiquing the Frankfurt School and the postmodernists, he just says a lot of what people are saying is obvious, like a child could see this, right, and and just kind of defangs uh, arguments. Yes, uh, yeah. Right? What is he? He calls uh, who does he call Mr. Captain Obvious? Or he says Captain Obvious. Oh, Marcus. Marcus. Yeah, yeah. He says like, yeah, <laughs> that's his middle name, Captain yeah. Obvious Pants. <laughs> um, so yeah, so so I think you know, I think if I pointed out to him like, you sound like a Buddhist here when you were previously critiquing them, he would say, yeah. So what? Because his criticism, he wasn't so much criticizing the Buddhist ideas. What he's no. pointing out and what he is like half like implicitly recoiling at is that um in these uh in days we don't um like when we uh have uh, uh you know the leisure class that begins to question itself and question the point of anything and the, you know what society means and blah 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 um they start to reach out for the other for for answers in the other rather than their own civilization mostly out of seeking distinction right yes um and that's what he doesn't like and so they find buddhism when they could have gone back to pre-platonic to heraclitus or david hume and found it there and i think that just rubs in the wrong way and i'm just saying like why you gotta do that bro like <laughs> me like i it's cyclical dude like <laughs> it's okay we can go over here um yes it's definitely a case of I get it's going to reinforce the end because we're yeah. going out over here, I guess, but like it's already faded. Um, it would just be something else if it wasn't. If it wasn't. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. And, and this be, is a fine thing to go for. Sure. Yeah, it's more, he is he is not a fan of fashions, right? He is not. It's yeah. like, but he's like, you know, you should still wear clothes, but maybe don't like do this thing where it's, which is incredibly annoying of um, just draping yourself in whatever some rando from, uh, from, from Persia is wearing, just but this is human. But this yeah. is human nature, right? Like, uh, yeah, but that, think, that, yeah, exactly. So, so he's he's just standing. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. He's standing authority history, yelling stop to human nature, uh, or yelling standing authority human nature, yelling stop. Jerry, you can still do your weird Buddhist shit. No one's yelling. I'm not. I'm not going to okay. stop. Okay, I don't think he's going to come to your house. What's Listen, what's his first name? Bechtel? Benedict. Benedict is not coming to your house to beat you up. <laughs> <laughs> um with a, with a Viking battle axe. Um 
<laughs> yeah. No, what, I. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, what did you think of so, so now going to the, the cyclical, helical, um, uh, theory of history? I mean, he. This is the thing is that he kind of sold me on it, and I've always just been very skeptical of cyclical theories because I'm like, well, why would it? Why would it be this way? Yeah. Um, but he's got a persuasive. Like I, I've never, I can't believe it's just totally failing on my part. I've never seen it explained this way. Like typically when I, when I'm exposed to this, it's like Peter Turchin kind of stuff where it's like every 150 years on the dot, like right. clockwork, there is this, you know, the fourth turning, the fourth turning. Right. Yeah. Uh, we, we read a book like that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, so with this, he's just saying um, human nature is constant. And when exposed to um, certain, uh, uh, you know, um, stimuli, yeah. yeah, you get a certain outcome, which result, which is an input into the human nature. We give certain, you know, outcomes which become stimuli, right? And it's kind of predictable in that way because human nature is constant. Um, and it doesn't mean that it's on a clockwork, right? You've got the Middle Ages where for a thousand years nothing happened, at least in the West, which is what he's focused on, uh, uh, as he defines. Um, so, so, so that kind of makes sense. Um, but then he, anyhow, yeah. So he kind of is fighting human nature though a little bit, or wants to, or at least anyhow, that's why it's tragic, right? It's because he wants to, but he can't. Yeah. Well, I mean, so in the in the france chapter yeah i don't know if he says this in, in any other chapters and i believe he studied in france so maybe mm -hmm. he, he knows it very well and i think also germany so um so he's talking about like modern france which is you know can't even can't even win a world cup they're pathetic <laughs> uh <laughs> um so in the late 20th in the late 20th and early 20th centuries oikophobia will complicate the question of how to remain culturally french while absorbing new peoples Yep, that's true. If, Fran if France fails to produce an answer to that question, she will cease to exist in any meaningful sense. And it is only the risk of such total defeat and destruction that can start the cycle anew, rouse a people from their oikophobia, oikophobic pathology, and imbue it with renewed spirit. So there kind of is. Nah. <laughs> go, go on, say what you're going to say. No, no, so I mean, yes, he is still talking in terms of cycles. But, you know, if the bottom of the barrel is like modern France, like, you know, it's not that bad. Um, it's not that bad, but he also um, uh, has another part. I don't know if it is in the, I think it might be in the French chapter, but it might be elsewhere, where he says that um, as you um, bring in new cultures into your multicultural society, there's some cultures that aren't oikophobic. Right. Right. And they have a very clear sense of their identity and what's right and what's wrong by their lights. And so they're not going to change. And if everybody else is a relativist and they're not, then they're going to win <laughs> and they're right. going to subsume. And so what's going to happen to France, uh, I don't know, I would refer you to uh, Michel Welbeck. Um, Michel, Captain Obvious Pants. Captain Obvious Pants. <laughs> right. And, and so then the cycle begins anew, but not because, what, do you, what did he say? Reinvigorates? In, imbue it with something. Just yeah, it's not that. It's, imbue it with a renewed spirit. No, it's it's that there, the cycle will begin again, but it'll be a new civilization. Right? right. It'll be the Romans, not the Greeks. Uh-huh. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um... 
Yes. So he doesn't have too many answers about, like you said, if, if human nature is constant, um, it's like it's like hoping, which we all do, is like, oh, I wish people did this and this and this, which is basically, I wish people were better and not what they were, which is nice, but, you know, it <laughs> doesn't really work out that way usually, right? Um, but, uh, yeah, it's... Yeah, I, I'm trying to remember because I've highlighted like half the book. Uh, if there is a section where he does address if it is possible, you know, for like he kind of talks about it here, but if it is possible for a civilization to come kind back of, for the to, or, to maybe arrest and restart, uh, maybe it is going to Mars, and maybe it takes a war, or ideally you don't you don't lose it. Um, but that's the uh, thing. I, I think I think a a, a big a struggle. Um, we'll call it a struggle. No, no, no. But let's say you have a war. Let's call it a jihad. <laughs> no, I think a big war in these latter stages, um, where your military, where like the vast majority of your men who could be at arms are fat <laughs> and happy. Uh, are not happy, very unhappy, and oikophobic, and would are totally unwilling to die for their country because they don't believe in their country. A war in that in that moment, and you have like this class of warriors who uh, are fighting for uh, what some kind of remnant of um, patriotism, but also because their professionals are getting paid, and then are resented by the rest of the society to which they're patriotic about like i don't think that goes well yeah probably not. so so i don't i don't think a war all of a sudden the oikophobia is going to be sh you know shaken out shaken off yeah ah, feels bad man <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean this is generally uh you know i would almost go to say depressing book um it's depressing, but for the fact that it is so clear, like it's so explanatory, right? Or mm -hmm. that you're like, that that's delightful. <laughs> Except when you stop, you're like, oh yeah, this is all right. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> that's okay. Podcast will save us. Yeah. Um, Substacks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know if I have anything else to add. Yeah. It's bumming me out, Jerry. Um, uh, something else that I just because he puts things so plainly, I thought was very I, I hadn't seen it put this way before is he basically calls bullshit on um, the enlightenment or parts of the enlightenment or at least a part of the enlightenment that says that we could reason our way to morality. Right. And he basically says, you know, with religion, they say, you know, we have human rights and because of God. Um, but and this is where he's. Um, uh, destroying uh, Pinker, even though he says, but there's some great stuff too about Pinker, right? Um, yeah, he's like, you know, um, Pinker says human rights are sacred. He says, but that's just a belief. Where, like, how do you reason your way to that? You don't. Well, yeah, I mean, the answer to that is who says? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. and it's like, well, bad things will happen if you don't. And it's like, well, okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and what's, yeah, and so what? And justice, right? Like the idea that, um, uh, you know, Plato's big mistake was coming up with these 
categories first and then trying to define them rather than having the thing and then giving them words. Yeah, he he, he tries to uh, push a very... Um, I mean, it's not like... Um, it's not self-help at all, but it's um, like a grounded philosophy. You know what I mean? Like, just start with start with like real things. Don't, uh, like you said, don't like, don't play that game where you're trying to deconstruct everything from the very beginning. Which right. I'm sure I'm sure is not ex what was happening back then. But um, like, you have to have a grounded philosophy that that deals with um, actual tractable topics and issues. Uh, in order for it not to like just spin out of control and come up with yeah, you take the world as it is. Yeah, exactly. Take the world as it is. Don't come up with like weird metaphysical entities that like don't don't exist, and then just base your whole civilization off of them. I mean, that's I guess that's like ultimately his big his big his beef um, with a lot of Western philosophy is like this: these things don't exist, right? Right? Like you have all of these concepts, um, and we've built a lot of structures on top of them but what if they like don't exist they're just just some guy in a toga <laughs> came up with them like a long time ago and we've built on top of them through christianity but um they're not real and uh it will come crashing down once people realize like oh we have no basis for saying any of this stuff because we're no longer actually christian uh so that's why you gotta go back Right, Greek poetry. <laughs> Return. Return, uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, get UV rays on your nuts. Yeah. Soul bra. Soul bra, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, I'm sure that guy is a big, big reader of the. Yeah. Pre Socratics. Uh, uh, all right, well, what else? Anything else you want to. What else struck you? Um, a lot of it struck me. It was good. Uh, yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, it's just a lot. Um, I mean, I think some people might have issues with the philosophical chapters, as I'll call them, because mm -hmm. they do kind of range all over the place. And, you know, I don't have the training or the reading to necessarily make it all cohere in my mind. Like, he does a good job of it, but there are times, there were times where it's like, why are we talking about this and where is it going? <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, but again, it's like, that's probably more my fault than his. But, you know, if you're just looking, uh, basically if you're looking for the Federalist slash National Review slash whatever takedown of um, the the Ground Zero Mosque and trans activists, this is not it. No. <laughs> so, like, don't don't take the fact that he, like, maybe wrote for some of these people or is embraced by, by certain crowds if he is uh as I agree. That, like, yeah yeah i think i think he <laughs> uh, regrets writing for the federalist so well he mangled his prose right um <laughs> yeah uh he, um where does he teach i think i read that he just he was teaching in france and he just stopped oh, teaching. That's right. he like he resigned and he just wants to write that's right. He's an independent scholar. Um, in his massive library, if you look at his uh, his little videos, yeah. his YouTube, yeah. So yeah, no, this guy is is a serious person, um, whether you agree with him or not. He kind of reminds. So you know who he reminds me of, just just stylistically, just just on a surface level, is uh, Nassim Taleb. 
Okay, sure. Okay. Uh, you know, just like, it's very surface. Like this guy seems way more serious than than the scene to love. Um, but he's but, rich. But he's <laughs> no. But he's cranky, and he's certain. Uh, I I appreciate the crankiness. Uh, totally. I don't I don't have a a bone to pick with the people he's cranky with necessarily. Uh, it's amusing. I don't think he's trying to be amusing. <laughs> I think he's just cranky, uh, which makes it better, actually. Uh, no, no pew 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 uh, jokes in here, like some people. So, but uh, like, so the cover is awesome, right? Um, it's like a Greek column with a guillotine growing out of it, uh, which makes you again think, like, oh, this is a Tucker Carlson uh, book club of the month book it might have I, been <laughs> i would love no 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 i would love to see tucker carlson recommend this book to his yeah uh viewers could you sure. imagine like yeah. yeah we can we can do our own little experiment when we're done here yeah <laughs> but um yeah it's it, i think it's a serious book it is published by an academic like imprint although i've never heard of it uh, uh i think it's isn't it uh, compact no no it's Northern Illinois University Press is an imprint of Cornell University Press. I mean, like, oh, again, this is not self-published by um, by a lunatic. It is not a no, hedge no, fund no, billionaire that gets people to no. write books uh, for him or anything like that. So, I don't know. Uh, why I thought it was uh, compact. Uh -oh. Okay. Well, anyway, um, yeah. So I I guess I enjoyed it, although it's <laughs> very gloomy. Uh, especially as it gets towards the end and it starts talking about the United States. It's all fun and games to like make fun of Romans. Um, we, we, we need to read the uh, Cato, the elder quote. If you, whoever finds it first about him walking, oh, um, walking, walking in Rome, walking um, on his farm. The... Yeah. But um, I think there's a lot, and I think people who disagree with him, we have a lot of, uh, risk for the mill i think i think he's like like you said intelligent enough where it's not too easy to just like pick things off if you if you read the book carefully have you found it i have to search okay i got it let's okay. see uh so um he is talking uh... oh wait no this is all right we I think cut this out. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll clean it up in, in post. Um, uh, I, I got it. page 44. So he's talking about Cato the Elder. Uh, I think the guy that uh, legend says ended every speech with and Carthage sh shall be destroyed mm -hmm. or should be destroyed. Um, where is it? I have it here. Okay, go ahead. Uh, he says, um, uh, farming. yeah, he's basically talking about the, the, the difference between um, farmers who are an, you know, the original uh, sort of cast of people who um, lived off the land and were also the warriors, etc., and how they understood where, you know, their life came from, right? They, and, they understand so they had a lot more common sense and he's he's kind of contrasting this with city dwellers who then become you know who who is where the permanent leisure class resides 
who are totally disconnected from that. Their stuff just kind of shows up. And so they are much freer to um, uh, just adopt ideas that um, are nonsensical, right? Whereas people like Cato could take one of those ideas and quickly, by putting it into practice, see it doesn't work. People in the cities, the intellectuals, they, they can just devote themselves to just contemplating these ideas, right? Mm -hmm. Anyhow, so he says uh, that Cato believes that there is no greater joy than to walk on a Roman farm over a Roman field under a decidedly Roman sun with a fistful of Roman manure in his strong Roman hand, all while muttering incoherently about those effeminate, artistic, and quite obviously queer. Uh, God damn it. I lost it. <laughs> quite obviously queer Greeks. That's it. Greeks. <laughs> yeah. All right. Enough. <laughs> we did it. Uh, Stably, next time. Um, what are we reading? We are reading The Cultural Contradictions of Capitalism by Daniel Bell, uh, which is my pick because it's been on my list for a long time. And I figured what a better uh, thing to read over the holidays. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> Surrounded by uh, as we open presents, wrapping paper. Yep. And, uh, tidbits mm -hmm. books. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. all right stably all right i'll see you next time see you next time